0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
1: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com
0: slash metaverse (laughs) impact. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to Development Hell. Every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Hi everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Development Hell. Today is an extra special episode because this marks our one year anniversary. Can you handle that? I cannot believe it's been a whole year and I'm super excited to be uh, landing on probably one of my favorite topics ever, as you guys probably already know, because it comes up a lot. Today we are covering Stephen King's short story, The Jaunt. And we have a very special guest with us today,
0: um, Drew. Welcome to Development Hell. How's it going? It's going well, Josh. Um, happy one-year anniversary. I didn't get you anything, but uh, oh, I'm very, so I'm very happy.
1: Rude. Uh, you <laughs> have to leave right now and come back with something. Um, Drew, do me a favor and introduce yourself to the Development Hell audience.
0: Uh, my name's Drew Tinan. I'm a writer with Dread Central. Uh, I've um, been around the block for a while, just covering festivals and doing interviews. Uh, so I've been in the entertainment journalism field, as they say, for for about a decade now, uh, covering stuff in uh, New York and California. And now I'm back in uh, Austin, Texas, my my hometown, and still reading Stephen King.
1: I mean, from cradle to grave, right? There's still uh, a lot I haven't read. The, oh, yeah, me too. I've barely scratched the surface. And I would consider myself like a fairly adept Stephen King fan. I, I've gone through a lot of it. Um, what would you say your general relationship with the King is? Are you like a mega fan, medium fan, casual fan? What's what's your deal with Stephen King?
0: Medium fan, because I think, I think really everybody is kind of a casual fan of Stephen King. I, mm-hmm. I don't really, I don't know if I've met anyone or talked to anyone that has not read a Stephen King story at some point, and certainly someone that hasn't you know, actually watched anything that, that, uh, has been adapted by him. Mm-hmm. And I don't really, I don't really remember a time when I didn't know about Stephen King. I mean, his stories have just always been there. Um, that's why it's hard sometimes to still imagine a man behind the typewriter or laptop, um, you know, whatever he's, whatever his, uh, you know, preferences now. So I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that he's, you know, still around and now he's, you know, got an incredible son, Joe Hill, that's, that's going to carry on that tradition as well. So we can just keep reading, um, you know, the Mm -hmm. Stephen King universe and the Joe Hill kind of universe for for decades to come.
1: Wow, Owen King right now is like crying. He's like, how dare they forget about me? (laughs) Uh, What was your, do you remember what like your introduction to Stephen King was? Do you remember what the first book or even adaptation you encountered?
0: Well, my my mom was a voracious reader uh, and could never really throw a, a book away, especially if it was in hardback. Um, So she just had a huge collection and I snuck her copy of Christine Mm -hmm. and I, and I read it in her closet. So I don't know why she really couldn't find me. I'm sure she knew I was in there reading it and just (laughs) didn't do anything. She was probably proud of me, Um, but that ended up being my like King reading spot. Um, And it was just, just in her, you know, amongst her blouses (laughs) and just just reading Stephen King. Yeah.
1: That's such a mood. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and I also I remember seeing silver bullet and, and you know, I wrote my own screenplay for that in, in shorthand when I was like around 10 or so because I really felt that I don't know unmistakable kid connection with um, Corey Hames character, uh, Marty and that in that movie but uh, so I, I, I saw the movie then read it and then wrote my own screenplay. Do you still have that somewhere? No, no. I mean, it's, oh. it was it's it was on just like pages with a number two pencil. So I, who knows where it is.
1: <laughs> so that's going to be hard to track down. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I would love to adapt a Stephen King piece at some point. And I've never seen the Silver Bullet adaptation. Is that what it's called? The, the actual film? Yeah,
0: okay. yeah. And I mean, you know, originally the the movie was going to be directed by Don Coscarelli, oh, cool. uh, and it just never never uh, came to fruition. But the the film version I think really actually holds up.
1: Is the book um actually called? It's a different name, right? It's like Cycle
0: of the Werewolf or something. Or am I yes. thinking of something different? That's right. No, it is but. Cycle of the Werewolf. Yeah, I think you're right.
1: Oh, I've never read that one. Um, but I like the sounds of it. I like that it sounds a little bit more YA than some of his other stuff, so I should check it out.
0: Um, yeah, that's a good cool. point. Yeah, you're right. It, it very much is like kind of like a, a YA uh, book. You're right.
1: I would say my first encounter with Stephen King, I'm almost sure, Girl Who Loved Time Gordon, and I remember finding it at a Scholastic book fair at like in grade seven or something. Today we are covering Stephen King's The Jaunt. Yes, I did introduce this because we, I'm a big fan of Stephen King's short stories. I would say maybe even more than the Stephen King novels. How do the stories sort of rank with you?
0: Um, the short stories? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the ones that probably stick in my mind the most, I think. And I think they, they, uh, they have some of the most memorable endings. And I think The Jaunt is the one that I remember the most. Yeah. And I think a lot of people remember it because if you went going back and reading the story, it's really the ending that's, that's like the, the, the real kicker. And I think that a lot of the short stories that King writes um, really deliver. And, you know, some people might say, including me, that in his longer novels, sometimes the endings don't work.
1: Yeah, I would say that's definitely a criticism he faces. Uh, Drew, why do you think I asked you to uh,
0: come on this episode to talk about the jaunt I do. I think, I believe Twitter was involved yes. um, and obviously we do, we do work together and mm-hmm. uh, I know that we were asked to kind of could just come up, uh, write a little blurb, as they say, a little tweet about mm-hmm. um, our favorite Stephen King stories. And I mentioned the jaunt um, and you immediately kind of hit me up. <laughs> yeah, right like, away. Dude, you
1: love right the away. jaunt too? I was like, this is my new best friend. This is this is BFF forever now. Yeah, as you said, everyone kind of, like, it is a very infamous short story. But I, I rarely see it talked about in the organic wilds. And maybe that's just a coincidence. But when I do see it come up, like, my heart skips a beat usually. And I get really excited because, as my listeners know, I talk about this short story literally at any point that I am permitted. I've probably talked about this short story, like, in at least... Mm, I'm guessing at least 5 of these episodes. I am obsessed with it. Uh we'll get into why probably a little bit more down the line. Do you have any other like favorite Stephen King short stories aside from The Jumped?
0: Yeah, I mean, but there's there's kind of a funny thing with me and and King's stories. I think I mean, I I really come through it for from the movies first a lot of the times and also I like it when a story I loved reading it ends up getting a fairly maligned film or TV movie adaptation. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of those, you know, I'm supposed to feel outrage, right. When the, when the movie mm-hmm. version doesn't mm-hmm. do the book justice, mm-hmm. but I, I, that's, that's how, what we're all supposed to feel, I think. Mm-hmm. But I love the cheesiness of some of the, the movie versions, you know, and I think, yeah. uh, you know, the night flyer is definitely one for me um oh, I fucking love the Night Flyer. yeah it's fantastic but then but again like I I watched it first and then went back and read it but I just remember you know Miguel Ferrer is okay. you know um in the film version is actually pretty cool and it has a really fun noir vibe fantastic creature effects um but I think the descriptions in the book are actually a lot creepier than you know the thing you end up seeing uh, on screen then I, I really like the Langoliers um as a story <laughs> oh, yeah you know and then the TV movie you're like what is happening? uh it's just so awful but this is the the, 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 uh vfx are just cringeworthy and i mean they're Mm maybe 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 at the time somebody was scared um when it when it came out but um you know seeing bronson pinchot run from you know these like (laughs) giant critters in the sky is, is not not that frightening but in the but in the book the idea of them eating everything in existence was was pretty terrifying.
1: You know, it's kind of similar to The Jaunt in some ways. That they're both very existential in the terror that they're providing. I love that you brought up The Langoliers and what was the other one? The Nightflyer. Mm-hmm. I have never read either because I'm a bad Stephen King fan. But I love both adaptations. The Langoliers is probably one of the very first things I ever watched on Netflix whenever that was like 10 years ago. And I remember being like, "Yeah, this is this is bad," but something about that miniseries works for me, especially because the first chunk of it is just a bunch of random characters on a plane, and it has a sort of like low quality play vibe to it. And I, I don't know, I like it. And there's that weird blind kid that gets murdered. I am into it, and I also love the Nightflower. One of uh, a development hell episode that I'm dying to do is this follow-up film to The Night Flower, which is going to be called Fear of Flying. Does this sound familiar?
0: Yeah, but it, it, yeah, it never happened. That's right. It never
1: happened. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to the director before this show even got picked up by Dread Central, and he did not respond, probably because he was like, who is this person? He probably never even saw my message, to be honest. But I got to follow up, because <laughs> truly what a fascinating development hell topic that needs to be covered. I'm
0: sure he's dying to talk about it with you, Josh.
1: <laughs> I, I, this is this is the energy I've gotten from people that know him that he that he's open to talking about it.
0: Okay, oh, cool. um,
1: love that first film. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory about the first time I read the Jaunt. Does that sound okay, okay with you? Yeah. So shoot. I would say the very second editorial piece I ever wrote for Dread Central was about the Jaunt. I read it for the first time on a plane when I was like 14. And it was the first time that I ever f- was flying alone. And I remember being really, really nervous to fly alone. And the only like piece of entertainment I brought with me was a skeleton crew. And I was reading through them and some of them were more interesting than others. And I remember landing on the jaunt and just devouring it. But something about reading this specific story on a plane was just extra disturbing and we'll get to why in a second but like part of what makes the story so messed up is the fact that it's about this really uh, messed up form of teleportation or like travel and so reading it on a plane was like really appropriate for some reason do you remember the first time you you got to this story
0: You know, I really don't remember the first time that I read Skeleton Crew. I think for the first Mm. time, I was was definitely young. And like I said before, it's like, I feel like, you know, some of these stories have just always been there. I do not remember like the first time I really... Read it, so I don't have like a um, a, a distinct memory. It was probably mm-hmm. in my mom's closet. It probably was in my mom's closet.
1: I love that. I I, I, I hope there's a there's like a version of you that's still there reading Stephen King stories and just correct. Right. You know, yes, it live, locked
0: away in my own mind. Living, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. It kind of sounds like a Stephen <laughs> King story in its own way, to be honest. Yeah,
0: it's like the um, the, the, the dream catcher.
1: Oh, gross. There you go. <laughs> but monsters, not my right. favorite of his <laughs> books. <laughs> right. Um, so Skeleton Crew. This is the collection of short stories that um, housed The Jaunt. Uh, it was published in 1985, and it was the second short story collection following Night Shift. Um, so some of the stories included in Skeleton Crew are The Jaunt, Survivor Type, The Mist, The Raft, The Reach, Mrs. Todd's Shortcut, and tons of others. Um, before I get into like my favorite selections from Skeleton Crew, I was wondering... Do you have any standouts besides the jaunt that you remember or that left an
0: impression on you? I do. Yeah. I mean, um I remember um word processor of the gods. i remember oh. I remember reading that one. and it was kind of about how technology can drive us crazy, which does have a lot in common, I think with with the jaunt you know it's 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 also a writer that's having a little bit of a, a God complex, you know, where whatever you write can actually alter reality. And if you write about someone or something and press delete, you know, that person or thing is erased from existence. Um, You know, it's basically, you know, this, this guy, his, his son makes him a word processor that's kind of his own DIY word processor. And apparently this kid was like, you know, really adept um, and, um, there's some kind of supernatural elements in it. So if, you know, you start writing on this word processor and you want to, um, you know, make something mm-hmm. disappear in the room just to test, you can, you can say this painting is no longer there and suddenly it, it, it disappears in the actual room. So, um, cool. yeah, they, so they start, so he starts doing that with actual human beings to, uh, mix results.
1: Uh, I love that. I forget that story a hundred percent completely, although there's an episode. An episode of are you afraid of the dark with the exact same plot so i love that although right. i'm sure they're both just pulling from the twilight zone in some way or another uh that sounds great i thought that that one was about the there's another story in this collection about a typewriter with like a little scary monsters living inside of it and i'm starting to think that that's not the one that you're talking about mm-hmm. and that's okay um before i tell you mine do you have any others from the list that you like you're you're dying to sort of i mean you have, talk about the,
0: you have to talk about the mist I mean you have Okay, I
1: mean, well, yeah, The Mist is
0: like If you if you want to talk about The Mist, but I mean that that's another ending that that really stuck with me even though it's really open-ended.
1: I love the ending of The Mist compared to the film um because I, you know, like have a soul. No, The Mist is so scary. <laughs> the Mist is is like really fun um like monster horror that that works really well. I do think it gets a little overshadowed by the film because the film was just so good. And uh, the short story, I don't know. I feel like now it's, yeah, all we think about is the film and that ending. But yeah, The Mist is is great. I think it was one of the very first things I read. I read it definitely before I read the book properly. I remember finding it online and going through it and being really freaked out by it. And there's something really scary about that open ending, too, because they're probably just going to die. Like, what else could be happening to them? It's not going to be good.
0: No not at all. and I mean that's that's one thing that's that is cool about the film is that if you stop it um, you know at a certain point you can actually just have the ending of the short story. Hell you don't have to watch you don't have to watch Frank Darabont's ending. Um, but I, I, mean, I, I remember I, I was at the premiere of that film with like Nicotero, huh? Greg Nicotero was there and Frank Derbant they were in they were in person and you know after Darabont's like insanely tragic ending um, that he added. Yeah. It was hard to suddenly be there for a Q and A. I mean you're it's it's a downer ending and I and I also really had to pee. <laughs> uh but but uh but I think I think even King said that if he would have thought of that ending, he would have written it and added it to the short story.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an it's a great it's a very good ending. And uh what's his face really pulls it off. Mr. Thomas Jane. That cast is incredible. Uh I forget the name of ugh, Remember the name of the woman that, like, caught, like starts the cult in the grocery store? Marsha Harden. That's her. Yeah, that is yeah. a horror. That is, like, a horror Oscar performance, if there ever was one. If we could, like, go back in time and give horror Oscars, performances Oscars. Like, I would give that one an Oscar even before Tony Collette.
0: I'm going to have to agree with that. Yeah, and I think she also went to the University of Texas, which is my alma mater as well. Wow.
1: See, it's all yeah. coming together. I love Great. it. Uh, Yeah, The miss is incredible, Um, incredible film adaptation, and the other story from this collection that had a, in my opinion, and I think a lot of fans agree, incredible cinematic adaptation, would be The Raft. Um, So I'm assuming you've seen Creepshow 2, if I'm wrong, let me know.
0: I've definitely seen Creepshow 2.
1: Hell yes, and I know a lot of people feel this way, but Creepshow 2, kind of take it or leave it, except for The Raft, it is such a good story so brutal and upsetting and scary and they kind of capture it in the, in the film segment as well, I think.
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, I do remember the, in the, the short story, they just remembering how cold the water is. And they actually pull that off in the, in the movie too. We're just thinking about swimming in, in the water and it's supposed to be freezing. That always got to me.
1: Oh yeah. And it also has more of like, um, the ending is a little bit more up in the air. One of the characters just sort of ends up staring into the, oil slick and sort of starts to disassociate and you can only imagine what's happening. Uh, Could you do me a favor? Could you like attempt to give me a log line, the audience, a log line for
0: the raft? Like tell us what, what it was about. Well, um, the raft, you know, starts off like, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, horror short stories with a bunch of stupid kids doing something stupid. And they, Mm -hmm. they, they, uh, they drive out to, to a lake um, kind of seems kind of like off season a little bit. And there's nobody around, and they drive out. They, I mean, they they swim out to this uh this like small wooden raft that's out in the lake. And once they get on top of it, they're all having the time of their life. And this bizarre kind of oil sludge starts coming over to them, and um, kind of behaves like it, it's sentient, um, which uh, is is a little creepy to begin with. And then mm-hmm. um, starts to um, basically eat them alive in really horrible, disgusting ways
1: yeah it's brutal. It's gross as hell. I don't remember if it's only in the film or if it's also in the story. I think it's in both uh how it can kind of slip up between the cracks of the raft
0: and yes. like, get a hold
1: of them and like pull them through in the most grotesque possible way. I love it,
0: yeah, especially um, but- when it's it's you know the when when the strongest person in your group, the coolest, strongest jock, you know, gets taken first. You know, yeah. and, and 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 dies really horribly. Then you really know you're in trouble.
1: Yeah, I also remember there being like a really sad sex scene. Does that sound familiar?
0: Yeah, feel like they end was. up doing
1: it, and it's like really
0: weird. Yeah, well, she's, she's it's 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 pretty creepy now. You know, watching back, I'm sure it was then too. But you know, it's she's kind of sleeping and he's doing things he shouldn't be doing.
1: Oh, really? So it's oh, so it's like not consensual. Maybe that's why I remember it being so sad and creepy. Interesting. Yeah, it's like one um, side of her
0: face is, is is turned, and then when she oh, she turns no. over, then it's like then it's all stuck to her. Oh, it's
1: out. so brutal. I love yeah. Stephen King because we he's just brutal sometimes in a way that not a lot of other authors can really get to and I think there's no story that captures that uh as well as the one that we're going to cover today which is the jaunt and I cannot get I cannot wait until we get into like the weeds of what the plot is about and we're almost there um but I also want to just like quickly go through which of these short stories did end up getting Cinematic adaptations. So we've mentioned the mist, we've mentioned the raft, and are you familiar with the third story here that has a film adaptation, which is Grandma?
0: Yeah, and it's funny, you know i've I've never seen Mercy, and I haven't seen um, Grandma either. That which is like, the, wasn't it a Twilight Zone it, um, episode uh-huh. when they rebooted it? Yes, yes. I um, haven't seen either. Of I those. haven't
1: seen either as well. I, I, but the story itself is very memorable, scary as hell. I don't know how they could have turned that into a feature film. I'm interested in what Mercy looks like, but I haven't heard incredible things.
0: Yeah, I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll kind of add it to the list that this podcast is is, is making me, you know, write.
1: Hell yeah! I mean, I, I you've mentioned it earlier, but I like I'm a little bit obsessed with Stephen King adaptations. It kind of feels the same void in my heart as, like, later canon sequels. There's just something fun and comforting about both that I, I really love. I'm assuming that you know about the Stephen King dollar babies. Would you say that's true?
0: Yeah, I love the whole concept. Basically, he can... You you get charged a dollar to be able to adapt something, right? Of his. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And I am a filmmaker, and I have looked through that list a bunch of times, And one that I see fairly regularly, because the list changes with every year, I think. And one of the items on the list that I see all the time is Uncle Otto's truck, which is not one of the better stories from Skeleton Crew, but it is one of my favorite. And it's one of the Stephen King stories that uses cars and like, car mechanics as a specific sub genre of horror which is something I've only really seen in the world of Stephen King and it's always outrageous you mentioned Christine earlier and I think my people might be familiar with from a Buick 8 but Uncle Otto's truck is also really weird it's about this man that's obsessed with this old abandoned truck that is across from his home and he's sort of obsessed with it getting closer and closer and his nephew or his son is kind of worried about him because he thinks he's sort of making it up and at the end the man is found dead and with like a horrified look in his eyes and in his veins is just crude oil or just like black oil Stephen King and his car horror again and I I live for it. Do you remember that one?
0: Yeah and there's also I mean it's it's going back and thinking about these again there really is a a whole you know through line of oil in Skeleton Crew. I mean there's even with the raft you know. Oh yeah. And and then also with uh, the jaunt too, I mean they they do they do touch on mm. oil uh, in the oil industry. Yeah,
1: yes, they definitely do because there's a certain um, element of environmental horror in the jaunt that I, it never resonated with me until I I checked it out again today, and it like seemed fairly prominent. So we'll get into that. So if you're okay with it, I'm going to give you and our audience just like a little bit of back information on the story, of the jaunt itself. It was first published in the Twilight Zone magazine in 1981, before being added to Skeleton Crew in 1985. The story itself takes place in the 24th century, when technology for teleportation, known as jaunting, is something that everybody uses. It's as common as flying on a plane, and it allows for instantaneous transportation, basically anywhere in the solar system. So you can go from here to Mars in a second. So it really solves a lot of human and environmental issues. And a lot of those are sort of come down to transportation, um, specifically like transporting goods. So this is something that like really helps the environment. Um, The term jaunting in the story is an homage to the stars, my destination, which is a science fiction novel by Alfred Bester. And he actually, uh, I believe states that by name in this story near the beginning. Before we get into, like, the weeds of what the story really is about, what would you say? Like, what would be your premise if I had a gun to your head? Like, what, how would you summarize the jaunt?
0: I think it's, you know, it's it's a first flight story. I mean, I think everybody kind of remembers their their first flight. I mean, you remember reading the jaunt on, obviously, it wasn't your first time in an airplane, but it was your first time reading reading the jaunt. Mm-hmm. And, and I I remember as a kid, my first flight and my first ride mm-hmm. in an airplane so imagine if you're a kid um in the future and your first ride is actually in a teleportation device mm-hmm. um, at an airport you might be a little more nervous than just just riding in an airplane um, so it's it's really just a, a family um it's i think it's the oats family the dad is mark Oates. um the wife i think is marilise and there's a two there's a, there's a son and daughter that mm-hmm. sound like they're about the same age, Ricky and Patricia, or Ricky and Patty. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, the kids want to know the whole history of jaunting and, and teleporting. So what's strange is that it seems like their dad, Mark, has been like waiting to tell them this history for a very long time and really knows his shit. Like he really knows yeah. what, what the history of the jaunt is, and it seems like he's written essays on the subject and he is like ready to talk yeah. to his kids about about what jaunting is. Mm-hmm. And and his wife is not crazy about it. Um no. but just but just goes through and, and tells how jaunting and teleportation was invented and then what they had to do in order to have a safe jaunt.
1: Yeah. I find it the whole point of this father sort of telling the history of the jaunt is to sort of soothe his family from their nerves. So, yeah, Mark Oates and his family are about to jaunt from New York City to Mars because Mark has, like, Mark has a new job and it's transporting him to live on Mars for two years and so they're all going together. And sort of to keep his kids from being too nervous, he's giving everyone a history lesson on the jaunt, but he keeps out the, like, more gruesome details, which then... Uh, we receive as the audience through his, like, narration. Um, And it's scary as hell. So I'm going to start us off by giving, like, a little bit of a history of jaunting in the story. So we learn through Mark talking to his kids that, like, I think at this point it's hundreds of years ago in a fictional 1987, there's this eccentric scientist who accidentally discovers how to teleport um, in his lab when he sets up sort of two portals and accidentally teleports two of his fingers, so like severs two of his fingers from one portal to another, and then he realizes, hey, I've invented teleportation. And the first sort of living beings that they send through are mice. And when they send the mice through consciously, or sort of unconsciously, they arrive on the other side, instantaneously, totally fine, totally healthy. But when they send these mice through consciously, they arrive instantaneously and alive, but they die of a heart attack almost immediately, or they have clearly gone completely insane. So there's some kind of stimuli that's affecting them in between the the checkpoints that is causing them to die once they arrive. Um, which is scary as hell. So in your sort of words, in your own like mm, interpretation, what exactly is happening to people or beings that are transferred through this machine while conscious?
0: Well, I think the best way to put it is what yeah, whether you're a mouse or a person that your your body goes to sleep, but your mind stays awake. Um mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the idea is that like where the question really is how long mm-hmm. does your your mind stay awake? Um, and it's a really really long time. And that's <laughs> that's that, that, that's that's where the terror kind of starts to come yeah. into play with that. You know whether whether you're um you know a test subject or or um you know um Ricky uh, going yeah. in uh, you know to yeah. teleport for the first time.
1: Yeah, yeah. So they do figure out as they start to test jaunting on human subjects that, yeah, if you go in unconscious, you don't notice anything, but when you go in consciously, while your body arrives instantaneously, your conscious mind and your like personality and everything that makes you, you is trapped in this white void of nothingness for what feels like an eternity in the book or in the story. They surmise that it could be anywhere from a couple hundred years to a billion years of complete consciousness, but with nothing but whiteness to stimulate the brain. So you're just floating through eternity with nothing to stimulate you. And then a billion years later, you're finally back to reality and the shock of coming back to our world. Is just too much for the sort of human heart to handle, and you generally go insane and have a heart attack like immediately, which is pretty really fucked up. I, like this is a certain kind of horror. That, like this is this is the kind of horror that gets me the most. I would say, why do you why do you think this is so scary? Like, why is this concept
0: so terrifying? Um, I think it's. I don't I think it's kind of a deeper question. I think it's really like, I think it's about trust in a way. I think like, and ultimately like letting down your own children by telling them everything's going to be okay. And it's, it's not okay for, for um, th- these yeah. kids, you know, unfortunately. And, you know, the, the, the father tells his kids not to worry. And then the most horrific thing possible happens that we've been describing. Yes. Yeah. And so it's, it's, yes, for sure. Like the idea of of being stuck in like an infinite white void is terrifying and and something that we can't really comprehend. I mean, that's one of the lines in the John is it's, it's longer than you think. And it's eternity in there mm-hmm. um, is, is what somebody else says. Um, So the terror and torture of being conscious, you know, surrounded by nothingness for an eternity is totally unfathomable. But I think the real mm-hmm. horror is the well, the ending um, and the screaming um, and this kind of the insanity that happens. Um, so, how
1: would you how would you summarize what happens at the end? What happens with with the uh, Mark's son at you the end of the I re- story?
0: I remember one thing I forgot actually in the story. I I for- you mentioned it earlier. Mm-hmm. I forgot that um, you know the scientist that um, I think the character is Victor Karun, uh-huh. who, yeah. who invents teleporta- um, teleportation. I forgot that part where he his fingers actually get teleported, the two <laughs> fingers, which is so cool. It's so like, cool. Just the idea of that. I so I love that touch. Um, yeah, me too. That I totally forgotten about because I just remember being horrified. But um, <laughs> I, I I also remembered it being a pill that you would have to take a pill to go to sleep. But That's it's right. actually gas. It's actually gas in the in the and so the. Um, Uh, the the son, Ricky, is actually like a really adventurous kid. You know, he's always the one that's kind of doing the daring stuff and so he doesn't (laughs) take the gas. He decides not to to take the gas because he wants to see what it's like. He's a curious And his dad kind
1: of, the dad is also kind of like shielding him from the horrifying parts of the story. So the kid doesn't really have a sense of how dire, how important it is to take the gas. He doesn't understand that it's going to be like a fate so much worse than death. Yeah, and then at the end, it just ends with him, with the dad waking up, and the mom is screaming, and I think the kid like pull, like rips out his own eyes as they drag him away, and he's just screaming. It's it's what does he say at the end?
0: Yeah, there's, there's, well, there's there's that line too where he he talks about like that he rips out his eyes because they've just seen eternity, like out of the, the horror <sighs> that they've just seen, he actually rip out his own eyes.
1: Oh, it's so I'm like it's. I've read it so many times and I was like, I'm not going to be freaked out. And just talking about it is giving is like affecting me right now. Yeah. The last yeah, thing okay. he says yeah. as he gets dragged away after he's ripped out his eyes, as he's talking to his dad, as he's laughing and he says, it's longer than you think, dad, longer mm-hmm. than you think. And it's so scary. I love it. I know. Um, yeah. I would say it like the concept of eternity for me, and I'm sure lots of other people is like, especially frightening I remember in like grade, I think it was three or four, we read Tuck Everlasting. Have you ever read have you ever read Tuck Everlasting?
0: <laughs> no, I haven't.
1: Okay. Tuck Everlasting is like this kid's book about um right. this girl that falls in love with this boy, and the boy and his family has found the um the spring of eternal life. And so in the story, this beautiful young girl and this beautiful young boy fall in love and Over the story, she has to decide if she's going to drink from the spring of, like, living forever, and so she can be with her loved one forever and ever, or if she's not going to do it, and if she's going to just, you know, live a normal life and die, and she, at the end, spoiler alert, she decides to not drink from the well, and she dies normally, and it's sad, but as a kid, I remember thinking, like, if she drank that Live Forever juice, like, What's going to happen to her when the earth explodes one day? Like, are you just floating around through space for eternity because you can't die? Like, that's horrifying. And I remember having that conscious thought as a kid reading this book. And so, like, this specific idea or type of horror really resonates with me. I don't like it. I also think it's kind of why people are so scared of hell. Because what could be worse than... Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's interesting that you, so you, so you read Tuck Everlasting before you read The Jaunt. Thousands you, of you, years, but, yeah. But yeah, but yeah, but you still had that incredibly dark thought, which is really, yeah. a, it, that, that's a v- big insight into your, your horror brain, Josh, that you were already, you. already thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I, pre- and, and, and it, it's like people that know me, like my close friends will know, like this is, it must be a specific kind of phobia that I have. I know you don't know me so well, but I'm going to get real with you because I think it relates to the topic. But it's I have, real. like, a specific type of agoraphobia, which is kind of specific, which is when I'm in open spaces, a good example would be, like, on a bridge, I'll get this panicky sensation that I'm going to lose gravity. Like, all of a sudden, I'm just going to get, like, plucked from the earth and just fall into the sky. Like, uh, like looking up would kind of be like looking down. It's kind of hard to explain, and it only affects me in, like, open spaces, but something about that phobia, which is pretty strong in me, like um connects with this specific type of horror. This like the the fear of the void or the fear of like endless eternity is just something that my brain does not appreciate or like.
0: Yeah, I guess that's kind of an that's that's sort of a version of, of Vertigo a little bit, but I, if you're I wonder if you're in the jaunt and you're trapped in this white void, I mean that's really that maybe the feeling if maybe you can answer this for me is is the feeling that you're experiencing um does it is it more of a body feel or does it feel like it's more in your head? It's a little bit of both.
1: I, I think yeah. it starts like in the head but then it does sort of in yeah vertigo is an interesting is an interesting comparison because it does sort of become that bodily kind of panic attack sensation. But yeah.
0: So if so if you're if you're jaunting and your body is you know mm-hmm. You know, based, <laughs> kind of not there, really. Are you still? Are, yeah. are you getting that feeling too? Because I, I wouldn't want that sensation <laughs> up for for eternity either. And I'm sure you would. Right?
1: No, I know. And that's not, the, like... not to scare you more. <laughs> hey, I mean, listen, it's already happened. It happened when I was 15 on that plane, man, for the first time. Right. And yeah, I'm not just reaching, right? Like the idea of you said it too, like first flight sort of syndrome. There's something about flying that's just so scary that kind of gives me jaunt vibes. Have you ever been afraid to fly? Is that something that you've ever sort of had to deal with?
0: I was. I mean, I definitely remember my my flight as like my first flight as a kid, but it was only from it was actually from Austin to Dallas, which is for those <laughs> like, who don't know, it, what half an hour. It's like forty five <laughs> minutes. Yeah, you go yeah, up yeah. and I go yeah. down. But yeah, well, I mean those are the most dangerous that. parts. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, it did. That's true. And I and I remember there was a um, flight attendant that came over and sat with me like the whole time, and then um, yeah, it was very sweet. And then she like you know kind of made sure I got to um, I think my aunt and uncle like in, in in Dallas, so that was very nice. So it ended up being a great experience, and I couldn't wait to do it again.
1: And now you're married. Is that oh, this, is, this is your wife? That's so that's a beautiful story. Um, you know, my mom. <laughs>
0: my mom actually was my mom actually was a stew for American Airlines back in uh, like the seventies.
1: I think it sounds like a a wicked cool career. I've known a couple over my life because I'm a gay man, and I just feel like there's a <laughs> lot of gay men in that <laughs> industry. I'm not totally sure why, mm-hmm. um, but you get to travel for free. You get to hang out cool places, and the money doesn't seem to be that bad. It's always been something in the back of my mind that if I ever like learned a second language, it could be an interesting option.
0: Yeah, I've have, I've have, I've have a friend that literally just just uh just just started the new job, and then have have a great friend of mine that's a that's a captain who's a gay captain, and he's loving it. Gay captain,
1: wow, he sounds popular.
0: Yep, just got um, his license.
1: Cool. Uh, I do. You, so, is it true? Do you have to know two languages to be a flight attendant? Or
0: that might not be the right term anymore. I think it's I think it's definitely encouraged, but no, I don't think it's I don't think it's a, a requisite oh, Interesting. So <laughs> you yeah, know, so you never know. You got a chance. Um,
1: so there's the first person in the jaunt or the first human being that goes through consciously um, is a condemned death row murderer in the story by the name of Rudy, I think, how do you pronounce it? F- um, I, I don't know. How Sounds right. That. Yeah. So there's, there's, they talk about the first sort of test subject that they send through and it's this death row inmate named Rudy. And he's been promised that if he, lives through this experiment, which he doesn't totally know what it is, that he's going to get a full pardon upon finishing it. So he's like, well, I'm going to die otherwise, so I might as well give it a go. And so after six other inmates are jaunted um, under anesthesia successfully, he's the first person that they decide to test it out on consciously. And he goes through, and immediately on arrival, he has a massive heart attack and lives just long enough to say the famous line, "It's eternity," in there, and it's scary as hell. Uh, in the story, they say that there are thirty human beings that um, we know about that have jaunted while consciously, voluntary, volunt- voluntarily, or otherwise, and they either they all die instantaneously or emerge completely insane. Now, there's one example of someone that gets sent through uh in the story that I'm wondering if you remember. So there was a a man that murders his wife with the John machine. Do you remember this?
0: Yes, definitely.
1: Do you want to tell us a little bit about that part because this is probably the section of the book or the story that might scare me the most.
0: Well, luckily for my wife, I had forgotten this part of the story too in, in, uh, before I, <laughs> before, I re- before I reread it uh-huh. <laughs> Um, but I do remember, I remember the mob at, um, thing that we can touch on later, how the mob was using um, mm. but, but this guy, that. this guy, and I liked the description, too. I think, you know, so they had it was a family as well that I guess he was not happy um, in his marriage and used like their daughter's like jump rope uh, to, to actually like, tie up his wife and throw her into the um, like, push her into to, to one of the pods. Mm-hmm. But but then he closes every possible exit, so she's basically just floating in there, and she can't, she's just jaunting for eternity, um, oh. in in limbo in this awful limbo, knowing that you know her, her husband just just um, you know yeah. killed her. But what was interesting is that when they go to trial, they can't really. There's no body, right? They can't really prove it. But he still, which which was nice. It was nice to know that Stephen King was like, you know what? This guy still needs to go to jail. And so they were like, he was convicted.
1: I think he also, I think he gets the death sentence too. But something I I liked in the story is that Stephen King mentions that his um, attorney tries to argue that it wasn't murder because she's still alive. (laughs) She's still floating through the ether screaming and alive. And that's That's a good lawyer.
0: It's It's a good angle.
1: It's a good angle, but I think it's also part of why they gave him the death sentence because I think it just like was just freaked everyone out even more, just thinking it's about worse. It. It's so much worse. Yeah. God damn, I so much would rather die than live forever. And something that is a constant theme in my life: do not let me <laughs> live forever. I really hope there's no heaven. I really hope it's just lights out because like, you know, we don't need to get too deep into this, but yeah, that's, I would say the scariest part of the book. For me, it's just this poor woman that is just forever
0: just floating through the jaunt. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah, Um, the jaunt just makes us realize that we just want it to be quick. You know, we just want the end to be quick. We just want
1: it to, like, yeah, because we were totally fine for the quadrillion years that existed before we were born. And we're going to be totally fine for the quadrillion years after we die. But we wouldn't be fine as if that was conscious and it was scary and bad. Um, yeah, so that kind of covers the story. As you mentioned, it finishes off with the dad waking up on Mars, hearing his wife screaming and that his son deliberately went through consciously and screaming out, it's longer than you think, dad, longer than you think. Not the happiest story. Probably not something you should read on a plane if you're feeling anxious or depressed, but an incredible short story nonetheless. Um, yeah, I
0: wonder I wonder what Joe Hill thinks about this story.
1: <laughs> he loves it. Right. Um, he's got some good short stories too. Have you ever read his any of his collections?
0: I haven't, no. I, I, Joe Hill's a big uh, blind spot for me. I've only read a couple of his books. Oh.
1: Um, there's two c- collections that I'm aware of. One is 20th Century Ghosts, which is where I believe it's yes. where the black phone is housed. And then there's the other one, which is Strange Weather, which is a little bit hit and miss, but you know, you can't win them all. So, yeah, if are you, would you be interested in a bit of a seminar on the production history behind the adaptation of The Jaunt?
0: I'd be very interested. Please, please oh. uh, proceed.
1: Wow. Okay. Um. So in 2015, Plan B, which is the production company owned by Brad Pitt, they, got the rights to produce the jaunt and they signed on two filmmakers, Andy and Barbara Muschietti. Am I saying that right? I always get nervous and I say it wrong. How do you say their name?
0: Please help me. Andy Andy Muschietti, yeah.
1: Muschietti. I don't I get yeah. I, I panic. I panic and I and I and I always mistake it. But you know what? I got it right. Anyway, so they hired these two and it was I believe after the success of their film Mama Don't hold it against me if I'm incorrect, but I believe Mama had already happened. And they were sort of like the cool kids in Hollywood, and they were getting a lot of different offers to do a lot of different projects. And this was one of them. Now, as you could have guessed, time goes by, and they did not end up making The Jaunt. Instead, of course, they made the It films, and this left The Jaunt captainless. Um what are your thoughts on these on these two? How do you how do you feel about them?
0: Um well, I mean I I remember watching Mama and I thought it was I thought it was you know visually stunning and and uh then it chapter 1 was fantastic and it chapter 2 was you know uh left some something to be desired for me uh, but still <laughs> um that's that's another you know book of kings that's that's has a strange ending so and it had a strange ending in, 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 in the movie as well <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah so I'm I'm in, I'm interested in seeing what he does with the flash and what they're doing um, oh they're doing the flash yes. I think they're, they're they're moving on to that so they're uh, they're getting yeah. out of the Stephen King world and you'd th- you'd think that um, that maybe like somebody like Mike Flanagan or somebody would be involved but I think I think he was going to do. Um, one of one of the books that I wasn't really crazy about, one of Stephen King's recent books, um, Revival, just kind mm-hmm. of like his like Carnival Frankenstein story. Oh, I've that read that it. Was, oh, yeah. I guess it gets has a really weird ending. <laughs> Very um, weird, kind of Lovecraftian yeah. vibes. Which is kind, of, and it, it maybe has it has a connection to the, you know, the jaunt maybe a little bit too. Just because, and I want to ask you about this later, like another kind of dimension that happens.
1: Yeah, um, that's yes, yes.
0: But you know, it's yeah because the the revival, I think he, he was going to work on that, I think for a little while. Um, and I think even like Russell Crowe is going to be in that um, <laughs> as a Methodist minister, but I think then he heard Flanagan went on to do midnight mass, which is kind of interesting. So he's still, yes. You can't, you can't really things. do both. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there I think too similar.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, Mushietti doing the jaunt um, could have been interesting and, and Flanagan as well.
1: Yeah. Flanagan, I'd almost prefer, I think also just cause I'm, like a bit of a Flanagan apologist, no matter what he does. Um, yeah, have you read uh, fuck, um, Final Girl Support Group
0: by Grady Hendrix? Yes, Grady Hendrix, sure. I've read a lot of his stuff,
1: yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan. He's actually been on the pod, not to brag. And That's I believe great. they're adapting that for HBO. Have you heard about this? I have, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that should be interesting. I don't know if they're actually... Going to be like writing, directing it, or if they're just producing, I'm not sure. But I saw that yeah, they're teaming up with um, Charlie Theron to adapt that one. And I've read literally everything by Mister Grady, but not that one. Have you checked that one out?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I was so so happy for for uh, for Grady hearing about that news. And um, I, you know. I really liked um, I really liked his book Hor- um, Horror Store too. That's yeah. kind of about the haunted IKEA. Like it's S-T-O-R. genius. Yeah, it's so genius. He's
1: just. A goddamn genius, and I cannot wait yeah. for him to be as famous as Stephen King. My favorite of his is, oh, God, they're so good. Um, Southern Book Club, Vampire mm-hmm. Killer Ladies, that was incredible. And My Best Friend's Exorcism, goddamn, yeah. just a classic.
0: I, I'm, um, I've, I'm, I'm on a really bad kick right now, buying all the paperbacks from hell on, on Instagram. I need to stop.
1: Oh, that's so funny you say that. I was, for the whole month of October, um, some fool gave me the keys to Dread Central's Instagram account. And (laughs) I was doing something I was calling the Midnight Gallery. And every like 11 p.m. of October, I posted like a spooky or outrageous like paperback from hell cover. And It was, I mean, a little bit stolen from from Grady Hendrix, but it was a really fun activity for me. So thank you, everyone, that allowed
0: that to happen. Yeah, you really. I, for, for anyone that doesn't just just before we get back to the John, for anyone that doesn't have that coffee table book that the paperbacks from Hell, it's a compendium mm-hmm. of all these ridiculous horror paperbacks. Some some are actually pretty good. Some some that I read, but um, from the seventies and eighties um, mostly. <laughs> and how like uh, so? It's it's. It's a rabbit hole that you can you can go down uh, for sure. Um, but some of them, because of that book, now now you're, these like paperbacks that used to be two dollars are now like twenty five dollars if you can find them.
1: Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, because they're getting they're due, and they're like just the artwork alone is worth the price of admission for some of these insane ones. Have you ever seen? Oh, there's some really infamous ones like Daddy's Little Girl, which is like, the scariest one I've mm-hmm. ever seen, or the Children's Ward. Does that sound familiar?
0: Yeah, and then there's there's one uh, pranks that I just got too that's got a great cover as well, and then another one called Six Six Six, and it has you know there's you know, it's the the kind of double cover where you have a little hole, and then you you, know, you open up the cover, and then there's there's the you know a secondary cover.
1: Oh, I love so that great. shit, or like the holographic yeah. covers, incredible. Yeah, all the particular um, stuff, so fun. Yeah, um, have you ever encountered a copy of the VHS bleeders IRL? Because I love that kind. No, of No, I haven't. Yeah, there's this, like, I, I haven't seen early 90s or 80s, I could be wrong, forgive me, um, VHS horror movie called Bleeders. And right. if you, it, it, the packaging is, like, uh, there's, like, this soft cover with, like, liquid underneath. So if you touch it, it's, like, Oh, this, right, right,
0: right. Yeah. It's, yes, I've seen like, that.
1: Yeah it's, yeah, it's fucking incredible. And I'm sure the movie is, like, I'm sure it only exists to be a cover. Like, I'm sure the movie itself is true garbage
0: terror. But Right. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that one. Yeah, I have seen that. I, I haven't I did seen the ar- movie. I haven't seen the movie. I've seen the cover.
1: Yeah, and I feel like no one ever has. I did an article for Dread not that long ago about like the VHS covers that really fucked us up as kids, but the movies aren't necessarily that good. And one that always I remember is Blood Beach. Have you ever seen the cover yes. of Blood? What? Yeah, the that was the like article. Yeah, oh, thank bit- <laughs> you. Thank you. Yeah. I, basically the whole inspiration for that article was the memory of Blood Beach, which is just like a lady in a hole screaming on the beach. It's not scary it's just really weird um so yeah time goes by and andy and barbara don't make the jaunt they make it and during this time brad pitt um the captain of plan b wins an oscar and the genre films on his dashboard kind of get swept to the side and so i'm talking about world war z two and the jaunt neither end up getting made and so about six years go by, and within that time frame, Stephen King's popularity kind of goes uh, up and down. I think the It films really catapulted him back into the limelight of like being as popular as he ever was. But then after that, we were starting to see a little bit of um, Stephen King exhaustion, I think, in the zeitgeist. Films like Doctor Sleep were underperforming. Um, And certain projects were sort of not getting made. And I do think that in the world of Stephen King, we do see sort of peaks and valleys of popularity. And I think after it, we were sort of sliding into a bit of a valley. Um, But then all of a sudden, February 2021, a new update on the jaunt did appear. So Fear of the Walking Dead co-creator, Dave Erickson... Was announced to be adapting the jaunt into a TV series. True. Uh, how do you feel about this very short story, sort of pivoting from a film into a TV show? How does that sound to you?
0: I I like it. I mean, it's I don't know exactly. I think it should be maybe a miniseries. I don't see it going for eight episodes or ten episodes or anything mm. like that. So, um. um but I I mean, I like, I mean, you've got, yeah, you said Dave Erickson, right? I mean, he's, mm-hmm. th- he's behind like Ozark and House of Cards and, or at least I guess, or I really guess like it, um, MRC TV is right. Yeah, the production yeah. company. So, yes. I mean, the outsider too. So, I mean, there's, there's Stephen King right there. So I don't know if it would, where it would find a home, I guess it would be Netflix or HBO Max maybe. Or, it's gotta be um, one of those two, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, and I like Fear the Walking Dead for the most part. Um but I I don't know how you how you um, yeah uh, it's like bring, bring this this whole story in, in, into into a series. But I like the idea better than just like a um, a two hour film.
1: Well, the the idea of a two hour film was always kind of strange to me because of you know well, I guess the way that the story works. It's it's I think it would be challenging to adapt this into like a a spec- like a spectacle two-hour film but the idea of making it into something smaller into a show where you could sort of um, get into the nitty-gritty of this eccentric scientist and sort of the politics of what he was up to like you could take it slow and maybe not even show that much of the terror because this is the kind of horror that i think needs to be shown as little as possible like it I think why the short story works so well is because the reader is imagining it themselves. Like this is something that I think, I think could easily not work on camera, but yeah, if they do it, if they do it smaller over a series of episodes, I I actually think it could work. I remember thinking that like this could actually even be like not the world's worst stage adaptation. If you don't Mm -hmm. even see the abyss at all. And it's just sort of about, these, these people toiling in you know labs or in offices and stuff like that. It's kind yeah, of it where feel where I'm like a David Copperfield
0: show, you know, where they could just, just they could just pop out of different so, places yes. around the the auditorium. Oh, I love,
1: but um, I actually love that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, how do how do, you, how, do you, how do you do it? You know, it's like would there? I guess you'd have to have a series of flashbacks, right? I mean, with mm-hmm. um, with, with, with Victor, um, you know, the the inventor and and um, him toiling with the mice and losing a couple of his fingers and going through through all um, of his, you know, trials and, and uh, tribulations. But And maybe you do something where it's like, you know, like airport, you know, and you have, you have you know, flight mm-hmm. attendants and you have, have them kind of being characters too and seeing how they, seeing kind of the inner workings oh, of it, then wow. you, you can bring the, maybe bring the mob in a little bit too. But I, I don't know if you have like, you know, an episode that shows you know, the, um, the husband and wife and that murder, you know, exactly what you can do. But I think, I think you could probably yeah. have a few episodes with the mob. Or, I was just thinking that like at least that. one,
1: I love the idea yeah. of there being a whole episode about the mob and showing them like, do you think they were killing people and then sending them through? Do you think they were sending them through alive? Just out of curiosity.
0: And you're in your are I think it's if, if, if they, if, if you betrayed them, you know, and if you were a snitch, they mm. they they see you through alive. Yeah, there's probably right.
1: different tiers of what they're gonna do to you. Yikes! Don't do it to me. Don't get involved with the mafia. Okay, just sure. stay clear of those guys. Um. Yeah, I'd love to see a whole episode about the mob, or and another whole episode about the guy that murders his wife. And there's a lot of like little aspects of the story that you could really um stretch out into full episodes. And I kind of like that idea. It's so, fun to think about. It's so fun to think about, and I'm very interested to see how they're doing it. You said you, so you have seen um, Fear of the Walking Dead. Is there anything about that show that's, like, sort of worth, like, noteworthy? Is it any, is it sort of different at all from the normal Walking Dead season, or is it sort of the same kind of gig?
0: I mean, eventually it kind of ends up being, you know, just a tale of survival again, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think, it I like how it, it starts kind of from... You know, patient zero, so to speak, and, and then and, and spend times in Mexico, and then it's in and in Texas. You know, it's all shot here in Austin, or most of it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I've, I like it, and I and I like the idea of you know having Morgan, you know, one of the main characters, obviously from um, Walking Dead, coming over and and uh, starting off that that spinoff. So I think it's been pretty successful.
1: Cool. So, in your opinion, you think Dave Erickson is like a suitable dude to take up this job?
0: Yeah, and I I like it's somebody that you're. I like names that I wouldn't have thought of myself. You know? I do too. I mean, yeah. So that's I think that's fun. Like some somebody that comes to mind for me, like maybe that's a little maybe like somebody like Charlie Brooker or something that that did the oh, for Black Mirror.
1: That's I, I'm just mad that I didn't think of that because it feels so obvious, but at the same time, so perfect. Mm. But, but I know what you mean. Like that guy has done this kind of thing so many times before. There's that episode of Black Mirror. That has, there's just a bunch of episodes of Black Mirror that have similar vibes to this. But there's that one specifically that I cannot remember much detail of where someone gets put into, fuck it. There's just Black Mirror shit that's very similar to this. So there's an MRC rep that, by the name of Elise Henderson, that had some statements about Dave. I'm just going to share it and see if it works for this. But this is what Elise had to say. So they have a admire Dave's visionary creative work and are thrilled to welcome him to MRC. They're a fan of his craft and think that he's an ideal partner to expand on the world of Stephen King and to develop more stories as they continue to expand. So, yeah, it sounds like they may try to hold on to this dude for other Stephen King adaptations as well. So, if you're okay with it, let's head off into our final section, which is conclusions. Sure. Um, we kind of touched on this already, but Jaunt for TV versus film, where would you sort of prefer to see it land in an ideal world?
0: I mean, if I could really have my ideal picked, just from what we were talking about earlier, is that just our kind of love of the cheesy TV movies, I would have liked to have had it just be um, a 90s movie by Mick McGarris. Oh, you know, fuck yes. That, that came out. You know, and so it's it's already done, and we'd be talking about you know, oh my god, um, that. But the way, I mean, the way that um, you know, everything's produced now, I much, I'm actually really excited for it to be a television series, mm-hmm. and they've got a, they'll have a lot more control and a lot more time to kind of develop it. But I think they could go off the rails pretty easily with it. Um, but it, mm-hmm. um, I think to just because just basing basing um, you know, an entire series just off of off of technology and kind of in this basic horror that you probably shouldn't show because it's more effective if you don't mm-hmm. i don't know how long that's gonna keep people's interest i mean it's gonna be like what like a horror version of quantum leap maybe it's not gonna work like that i
1: don't know that's appropriate weirdly yeah yeah
0: um so i, I don't i don't know i think it'll it, it'll be um it'll be interesting but um i wanted to ask you a question though can i ask you this of course. Okay. Well, you don't know what I'm asking, but right. um, you know, just the idea of you know all this interconnectivity, right, with with Stephen King with the Dark Tower and and mm-hmm. um, you know the the kind of interdimensional things that happen, you know, um, especially in the Dark Tower, or you in the Mist. Do you think that the void in the Jaunt is connected to that? Oh, or do you think good... it's a, or, or do you think it's a different kind of white void because there's no there's no creatures. That yeah, we know it's, of. it's
1: nothing. It's complete nothingness.
0: So, so so if they do the jaunt, if they do this, I don't want them to get into, you know, Lovecraft territory.
1: Yeah, I I feel like, hmm, it's a really good question. I think, yes, I think that it shouldn't. I, I think it would be so easy to tie it in to those extra dimensional Stephen King stories that are already out there. But I think what's scary about the jaunt is that it's kind of the inverse of that. It's not right. extra dimensional, it's like complete nothing, and I think that's what sort of separates it. I don't know if Stephen King would agree with that, but yeah, I would hope no i don't want I don't want to see kind of love like ginormous floating monsters in there, which is its own kind of scary that I like too, but yeah for me, the jaunt is like the inverse it's the 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 scariness is the lack of
0: monster in a way. What do you think? Yeah. Do you do you have an well, opinion on that too? I agree with that. I, I like that. But I can so, but I can see them maybe. If you wanted, you could maybe use the idea of the jaunt and that technology to actually like explore King's worlds. You know, you could you could mm-hmm. you could jaunt and you could jaunt <gasps> into another Stephen oh, King story. You know, yes. You could, so like, never
1: mind the abyss, but like the the actual process of jaunting itself
0: could take you into the different worlds. Right. So, so I think that's that would be kind of fascinating, but in in so, and I don't, that, I don't think that's where they're going, what they're thinking. But if you're talking about something like Dave Erickson and them wanting to, them to stay, him to stay mm-hmm. possibly in the Stephen King kind of business for a little while, that would be maybe an interesting portal, you know, um, to mm-hmm. to get into some of his other other um, See, properties. I more. like,
1: I like that. It's like uh, the opening of a Nightmare Before Christmas, where they're in the woods, where every door <laughs> is a different holiday. But it's every door's a different Stephen King story. Wow. (laughs) They need MRC, you need to hire us. Just reach out. Um, We're easy to find. Um, yeah. So do you think something that we do on this podcast that I didn't necessarily let you know is at the end we decide because you and I have all the power, is this project actually going to get made? Do we think the jaunt is really going to come to fruition? And I'm going to ask you first, unlike a lot of projects that we've covered, there has been an update fairly recently, which could sort of sway us. But I think the question is still worth asking, are we ever going to get to see the jaunt?
0: No, I don't think it's going to happen. Especially oh. what we were just talking about, too. I mean, there's there's a lot of ways to go with it. And then that's that can be you know, the death of a project uh, sometimes.
1: That's, that is ballsy because the last update was February, 2021, but yeah, it's such a weird project. Uh, I can't, I just like have a hard time imagining how they're going to adapt it successfully. And it just reeks of an, it just reeks of a King property that isn't actually going to happen. So I kind of agree with you. Although I was um, sort of screwed before because when I did my first episode, um, Touching Base on the Jaunt was like, I don't know, two weeks before this Dave Erickson update happened. Right. So I think the Murphy's Law is always going to bite me in the ass. So I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I'm going to say we are going to see this for television, but I okay. I don't know necessarily what the qual is going to be. But I'd love, part of me is just like, I really am like, Curious as all hell to see this happen. I just want to. I just want to see it. I'm such a fan. I'm such a fan of the jaunt.
0: I know. Well, I mean, maybe we'll see some new um, updates, I guess, soon. But for now, it's just going to exist in, in in our in our mind.
1: In development. Hell. I mean, yeah. I mean, Forever it has gotten an official development hell episode, and not just any. Development Hill episode, our one year anniversary episode. Pew pew. Um,
0: congratulations. Thank
1: you. Um, you don't see them, but there are balloons everywhere. I'm wearing a little hat. This is a,
0: this is a big day,
1: that I completely forgot about until like five minutes ago. I'm gonna um, buy you something. I swear. Oh my god. Uh, it's. I hope it's not a jaunting machine because I'm gonna misuse that. My poor wife. Um, will never see that coming, Drew. <laughs> Where can you be found on the internet if you so wish to be found?
0: Dreadcentral.com. dot com, and um, if if I if I bring myself to tweet, I'm on Twitter uh, and Instagram every once in <laughs> a while too.
1: Wow, so passionate about social media. He he.
0: I need I, I need to get reinvested. I really do. The right influ-
1: Well, it's true. I mean, listen. Um, you find him on Dread Central author page. Tons of amazing reviews and articles. We're big fans. Um. And thank you, Drew, for being on our one-year anniversary extravaganza special. It means a lot.
0: Thank you, Josh. Congrats again.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of Development Hell.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.